I have been fortunate to have observed and contributed to some real successes, the end of hyperinflations, the introduction of new stable national currencies, the cancellation of unpayable debts, the conversion of moribund communist economies to dynamic market-based economies, the startup of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria, and modern drug treatment for impoverished HIV-infected people. I have increasingly understood the yawning gap between what the rich world claims to be doing to help the poor and what it is actually doing. I have also gradually come to understand through my scientific research and on-the-ground advisory work the awesome power in our generation's hands to end the massive suffering of the extreme poor and thereby to make our lives safer in the process. I will explain what I have witnessed and learned in societies as varied as Bolivia, Poland, Russia, China, India, and Kenya. You will see that all parts of the world have the chance to join an age of unprecedented prosperity building on global science, technology, and markets. But you will also see that certain parts of the world are caught in a downward spiral of impoverishment, hunger, and disease. It is no good to lecture the dying that they should have done better with their lot in life. Rather, it is our task to help them onto the ladder of development, at least to gain a foothold on the bottom rung, from which they can then proceed to climb on their own. Am I an optimist? Optimism and pessimism are beside the point. The key is not to predict what will happen, but to help shape the future. This task is a collective one, for you as well as for me. Although introductory economics textbooks preach individualism and decentralized markets, our safety and prosperity depend at least as much on collective decisions to fight disease, promote good science and widespread education, provide critical infrastructure, and act in unison to help the poorest of the poor. When the preconditions of basic infrastructure, roads, power and ports, and human capital, health and education, are in place, markets are powerful engines of development. Without those preconditions, markets can cruelly bypass large parts of the world, leaving them impoverished and suffering without respite. Collective action, through effective government provision of health, education, infrastructure, as well as foreign assistance when needed, underpins economic success. Eighty-five years ago, the great British economist John Maynard Keynes pondered the dire circumstances of the Great Depression. From the depths of despair around him, he wrote in 1930 of the economic possibilities for our grandchildren. At a time of duress and suffering, he envisioned the end of poverty in Great Britain and other industrial countries in his grandchildren's day, toward the end of the 20th century. Keynes emphasized the dramatic march of science and technology and the ability of advances in technology to underpin continued economic growth at compound interest, enough growth indeed to end the age-old economic problem of having enough to eat and enough income to meet other basic needs. Keynes got it just right, of course. Extreme poverty no longer exists in today's rich countries and is disappearing in most of the world's middle-income countries. Today we can invoke the same logic to declare that extreme poverty can be ended not in the time of our grandchildren, but in our time. The wealth of the rich world, the power of today's vast storehouses of knowledge, and the declining fraction of the world that needs help to escape from poverty all make the end of poverty a realistic possibility by the year 2025. Keynes wondered how the society of his grandchildren would use its wealth and its unprecedented freedom from the age-old struggle for daily survival. This very question has become our own. Will we have the good judgment to use our wealth wisely, 
to heal a divided planet, to end the suffering of those still trapped by poverty, and to forge a common bond of humanity, security, and shared purpose across cultures and regions? This book will not answer this question. Instead, it will help to show the way toward the path of peace and prosperity, based on a detailed understanding of how the world economy has gotten to where it is today and how our generation could mobilize our capacities in the coming 20 years to eliminate the extreme poverty that remains. I hope that by showing the contours of that promising path, we will be more likely to choose it. For now, I am grateful for the chance to share what I have seen of the world and of the economic possibilities for our time.